15 Minutes of Fascism, a weekly podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, and this week we're going to be talking about anti-Semitism and the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC, uh, which is being held this week. Now, I've talked about anti-Semitism previously on the show, and if you're a listener, you probably have heard the word before, uh, but just a quick definition. Um, Anti-Semitism is actually relatively difficult to define, but a basic way to approach it is that anti-Semitism refers to a political or social perspective uh, relating to discrimination against uh, people of Jewish descent, um, Jewish people. Anti-Semitism is closely associated with fascism, um, but it is not unique to fascism. Um, Many other political perspectives and ideologies have been anti-Semitic, and many still are. And it's also true that uh, fascism is not always anti-Semitic. In fact, the original fascist party, the Italian fascist party, was not particularly anti-Semitic and actually included several Jewish people among its members um, originally. Uh, It wasn't until later, in an attempt to appease Hitler, uh, that Mussolini expelled the Jewish members of the Italian fascist party. But that's sort of getting ahead of ourselves here. Now, famously with the Nazis, uh, anti-Semitism is associated with the Holocaust, another subject that uh, hasn't been a focus of an episode of the show, but which has come up several times. Um, Famously, of course, uh, during the Holocaust, the Nazis killed six million Jewish people. People. Uh, However, the Jews were not the only uh, victims of the Holocaust. Uh, Six million other people were also killed by the Nazis uh, in this time, Um, mostly ethnic Slavs, as in people of Polish Czech or um, Southeastern European descent, Russians, um, but also the Nazis killed many, many people who were ethnically German or ethnically French um, because they were political enemies of the Nazi party. Uh, so we're primarily talking about socialists and communists. Um, the Nazis also killed uh, people of Roma descent. Um, the Nazis also killed um, people who members of sexual or gender minorities, um, that is homosexuals or people who are gender non-conforming in some particular way. Um, And they also, at first, the the apparatus that began the Holocaust uh, was initially a program that the Nazis used to kill people who were disabled uh, or differently abled in some capacity, either mentally or physically. Um, But again, that's sort of getting away from the point of this. Uh, the Holocaust is the anti-Semitic act um, that cemented the concept of anti-Semitism in the West as we understand it today. Now, historians argue uh, extensively about how the Holocaust should be understood. Uh, is the Holocaust some something from outside of history, um, some exogenous event that can't be reconciled with, uh, something that requires a more religious or poetic or psychological approach as opposed to a historical one? Uh, Or should it be understood alongside the pre-existing history of genocides, uh, pogroms, uh, not, again, not necessarily specifically against Jewish people, but against ethnic and religious minorities? Um, Again, this isn't what we're going to be talking about here, but it's the context uh, that you might need to understand what anti-Semitism is and how it's understood. The point here is that even with the Holocaust, um, the event in which the most Jewish people were killed in history, uh, and one of the most violent and disturbing, horrific events, sequence of events in human history, uh, there's still a lot of debate 
anti-Semitism remains a somewhat controversial, confusing, and confounding question uh, academically, socially, and politically. Now, what does this mean for thinking about uh, how anti-Semitism interacts with fascism, with the aspects of fascism that I've talked about previously on this show? So thinking about what anti-Semitism does for fascism is probably the most helpful way to approach this. What anti-Semitism does for fascism is that it provides a racial and religious separator within a given society, a way to separate out a certain group of people um, from the majority of the population, usually, although not necessarily. Uh, It's a facile way to unite two of fascism's biggest enemies, uh, which are big business and the left. Now, for those of you listening in the United States, you might be surprised to associate fascism with a criticism of big business. Uh, However, this is a common, nearly universal feature of most fascist movements and parties throughout history. Uh, And it's something that we can see in the alt-right today, Um, even in Trump. uh, In Trump's 2016 run, uh, he was broadly critical of uh, many big business practices, offshoring, that sort of thing. Uh, so, so just remember that when you think about this, uh, the right wing doesn't necessarily mean pro-business in this like, you know, simplistic way, the way that we usually associate the Republicans. What this means is that anti-Semitism gives fascists a way to talk about the unfairness of the economy uh, without actually talking about class. So they can talk about big business uh, as being in their minds, in the hands of Jewish people. So by this, they they both mean that they argue that Jewish people are disproportionately represented um, among the wealthiest people in Western society. Uh, And sometimes they also claim more conspiratorial things like that other people who aren't themselves Jewish are being controlled either with their knowledge or without it um, by some international Jewish conspiracy Um, whether that's openly to the people who are at the top of society or not. Um, The most famous version of this conspiracy theory um, comes from the uh, book, quote unquote, a book uh, called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which uh, if it came out today would have been called fake news, um, but which was a just a horrific propaganda piece uh, from the early 20th century. I don't recommend reading it. You, you, you wouldn't really get anything out of it. It's, it's a disgusting piece of work. What this means is that uh, anti-Semitism allows fascists to talk about problems in the economy as if they weren't features of the economy, as if they were something unusual, abnormal, impossible to understand, um, as if the problems with capitalist economies were not endogenous to capitalist economies, but were actually exogenous to them, that they, they, they came from outside. And this allows them to unite, uh, in their words or in their opinion, workers with good business people um, uh, in opposition to people whom they argue are parasites on the system. Um, now, this is an anti-Semitic trope par excellence, um, Jewish people as parasites who come from outside, uh, who use the economy for their own benefit, but do not produce anything on their own. Um, Sometimes you even get this uh, in a positive form, uh, that is talking not about the parasites, but about people as producers versus parasites, 
Um, this is a frame that conservatives and right wings have right wingers have used to talk about uh, the economy for centuries. Actually, um, another important aspect of this that needs to be emphasized is the supposedly foreign nature of these parasites um, of, of uh, people who are being perceived in an anti-Semitic way. Um, the claim here is that uh, such people do not belong to the societies that they are a part of. Um, you know, this is a disgusting thing to say about a person or a culture, um, that they don't belong somewhere that they live or where they may have been born. Um, but it is a major part of anti-Semitic uh, discrimination. What this allows fascists to do is to present certain parts of the economy and certain features of capitalism uh, as if they are bugs in the system, uh, as opposed to the natural way that capitalism functions, the, the, the normal way that capitalism functions. Um, they present things like offshoring uh, or the current dominance of finance uh, in terms of uh, how profitable a capitalist business can be. Some of the most uh, profitable enterprises in capitalism currently uh, are in the financial sector uh, to the point where many businesses and wealthy people are finding it much more profitable to invest in financial structures, uh, financial mechanisms, as opposed to actually engaging directly in capitalist production. Um, Anti-Semitic logic allows fascists and other people on the right to present this as something that is being done to capitalism, uh, as opposed to something that is normal in it. Um, and associating this association with finance in particular uh, is a is a special feature of anti-Semitic logic uh, as it relates to capitalism and the economy. Um, talking about finance as something that could be ever separated from how the economy works or from capitalism itself uh, is, first of all, first of all, a misrepresentation of how capitalism works. Uh, capitalism, of course, depends on finance uh, as much as any other part of the economy. And second of all, is a cop-out. It allows uh, people who uh, are business people uh, to avoid claiming or having any responsibility for uh, problems in the economy that workers are facing. Uh, it's a way to talk about the economy uh, without talking about it. About it. Now, today, uh, the primary means by which anti-Semitism has entered the contemporary U.S. discourse uh, is through the term globalist. Uh, if you unfortunately uh, find yourself watching Fox News or listening to a lot of talk radio, uh, you will have definitely heard this term. Uh, globalist is a word uh, that should be described as a dog whistle. Uh, that is a word that uh, allows someone to say something uh, without saying it in so many words, um, usually referring to a racial or ethnic slur, as it is in this case. case. On Fox News Today, uh, you might hear people like Mike Bloomberg or George Soros being described as globalists or sometimes even specifically as New York globalists, quote unquote, which uh, is a horrifically, transparently anti-Semitic thing to say. Um, it's incredibly racist and astonishing that it passes for normal political commentary uh, on conservative programs in the present day. But, you know, that's where we are.
And talking about where we are today uh, brings me to the last thing that I want to talk about today, uh, which is the Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC. Now, if you are following the news this week, uh, and especially the news out of the United States, CPAC will probably have shown up at least at some point. Um, For those of you who don't know what it is, CPAC is an annual political gathering of conservatives in the United States. It began in the 70s, uh, sort of as a response to the rise of the left uh, throughout the 60s and 70s, and what they perceived as the ascendance, the the overwhelming power of the left uh, throughout the 60s and 70s. Now, remember, this was a time when the Republicans were broadly a lowercase l liberal party. Um, They really did, apparently, believe in personal liberty. Um, They were relatively okay about gender issues, especially compared to uh, the kind of party that they are now, um, and had not yet been taken over by the kind of nationalist conservatives uh, that are ascended in the Republican Party now. That process by which the Republicans became, or at least are becoming, a nationalist party is in no small part because of CPAC and organizations like it. Now, I might talk about CPAC more extensively in a later episode, um, but the thing to remember is that CPAC is becoming wildly more important um, with the presidency of Donald Trump and sort of with the rise of the right wing in general in the United States. Um, There are now CPACs in other countries as well, uh, partly organized and or at least helped to organize by CPAC in the United States. There's one in Australia and one in Brazil, uh, where they're engaging with the Bolsonaro coalition. Um, The thing that I want to emphasize about CPAC right now in this episode is that uh, we are hearing the term globalist used a lot uh, by speakers at CPAC, by their staff, um, in statements that people are giving there, um, which is to say that This anti-Semitic term, the anti-Semitic trope that it represents, uh, is not something unique to the fringes of the right wing. Uh, Anti-Semitism is becoming very normal uh, for conservatives in the United States, not just for members of the extreme right. right. And this isn't necessarily to say that the people who are using these terms are themselves out anti-Semites. They might not know uh, the true nature of the speech that they're using, although I highly suspect that many of them do. Um, What this means is that they are using a phrase whose logic is inherently anti-Semitic. It is a claim about who belongs uh, in our society, um, about how the economy works, about how it should work. Um, It is a scapegoating measure, a way to blame certain people for how the economy works, how our society works, um, without taking any responsibility. Um, especially as the elites that they are, the people attending CPAC and the people who are speaking there, uh, especially elected politicians and major media figures. And when concepts like this, uh, like the globalist frame of approaching uh, problems in the economy or as a way to refer to specific citizens of the United States, uh, when that becomes normal, uh, when that becomes an accepted way to talk about people and to blame them for the problems that our society is facing, as opposed to taking stock and being honest about how our economy works, who it benefits. Uh, These can have catastrophic, really dire consequences for people. people. Uh, The past few years have seen more attacks on Jewish places of worship and community centers 
um, than have many, many decades prior in the United States. And the fact that this kind of rhetoric is prevailing on the right uh, is not unrelated. And it's something that we should be afraid of.